Welcome to This Academic Life, episode 53. This episode is sponsored by the Academic Life Faculty Development Workshops, a series of free in-person and online events that are designed for those already in or seeking to enter academic careers in STEM fields. The next workshop will be in person on April 22nd, 2023 at Boston College. If you're interested, please find the details of the workshop and the registration link in the show notes. Hi, my name is Lucy Zhang. I am a professor of mechanical engineering. Hi, I'm Pania Newell. I'm also a professor of mechanical engineering. Hi, my name is Kim Lewis, and I'm a professor of physics and associate dean of research. Joining us today are the leaders of our sponsor, the Academic Life Faculty Development Workshops. We'll let them introduce themselves on who they are and where they are from. Hi, I'm Pamela Abshire, Professor of Electrical and Computer Engineering and the Institute for Systems Research at the University of Maryland College Park. I'm Jennifer Blaine Kristen. I'm an Associate Professor of Electrical Engineering at Arizona State University. I'm Nicole McFarlane, an Associate Professor in Electrical Engineering at the University of Tennessee. Hi, I'm Myra Marcus Amari, Assistant Professor of the Practice at the Computer Science Department, Boston College. Hi, I'm Steve Centuria, a Professor of Electrical Engineering Emeritus at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. In this episode, we're going to dive into the topic of the imposter syndrome. I learned about the imposter syndrome shortly after obtaining tenure. And less than a year ago, I was speaking with students and they asked, how does one deal with the imposter syndrome? So let's start by you guys telling us a little bit about how you chose this topic. The imposter syndrome is really talking about those feelings of inadequacy that happen when an individual doubts their skills or accomplishments and fears that they'll be exposed as a fraud. It can arise when a person feels unprepared to meet the challenges that they face, or even just when they feel precarious about their situation, like whether they'll pass their exam or whether they'll get tenure or whether their grant or paper will get accepted. This happens all the time in science when we're supposed to be doing things that haven't been done before, working across fields or, or creating new ones. We knew that this would be an important topic to help aspiring academics along the way, and we weren't sure of the best way to dramatize the issue. We've all had this kind of experience at one time or another, but this time it was Steve who came up with the example. And then as we did with the other vignettes in our program, we asked him to write it up, write something that we could use and share. Yes, that's true. Um, there's a recent article in New Yorker magazine about the imposter syndrome, tracing its history over the past many decades. And we're going to include a reference to it in the podcast notes. The imposter syndrome was initially identified as primarily affecting women trying to enter previously male-dominated professions. STEM fields, of course, certainly meet that criterion. But actually, the syndrome can affect anyone, male, female, whatever. The example we chose to write up was one from my early days as an assistant professor at MIT. I had a graduate student who was using theoretical methods to analyze his data that were simply beyond me. I hadn't learned 
the particular formulation of many body physics he was using. It was scary. I have modified the story a bit for the vignette that we're going to present, but you should be aware that its source is real life, in this case, my real life. That sounds exciting. Can you please set the scene and tell us about the characters? There are three roles. Charlotte is a non-tenured assistant professor, played by Jennifer. Mark, an aggressive and very smart graduate student, will be played by Steve. Holly, a tenured professor and mentor to Charlotte, will be played by Pamela. I will serve as narrator. So if the time is right, we can proceed. Certainly. Let's hear about it. Charlotte is at her desk. Her student, Mark, burst into her office without knocking. I've got a great new result. Do you have a few minutes? Well, uh, this isn't a great time, but um, I guess so. What have you got? Take a look at this. Mark hands Charlotte a paper full of equations, which Charlotte stares at. Uh, I'm sorry, Mark, but what is this? I'm not sure I recognize these equations. Well, you know, we've been having trouble finding a field solution for the magnetic actuator. And I finally figured out that if I switch over to a Green's function method, I can approximate the answer with the line integral around the boundary. The Green's function? Uh, well, let me see. I, I'm, I'm not sure I get... Uh... You know, you find the response to an impulse source and use the superposition. We did all that in Professor Engel's class last term. The advanced electromagnetism class? Yeah, it's a neat way to transform the boundary conditions. Listen, listen, Mark, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but as I said, this really isn't a great time. Why don't you leave this with me and I'll, I'll take a look at it when I have some open time. Okay, but it's really cool, totally. Mark leaves. Charlotte stares at Mark's paper, not able to comprehend what was written and wondering what to do. Two days later, Charlotte asks to meet with her faculty mentor, Polly, over coffee. You look a bit worse for wear. Is there some problem? Well, maybe. Uh, I'm not sure if it's me or this is just normal academic life. What, did someone do something? No, no, not that. It's just that I'm not sure I can keep up with one of my students. He's very smart and very aggressive and he, well, he's done some work that I'm not sure I can understand. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry for the laughter. Um, um, let me guess. You're feeling like you don't belong here in the higher reaches of academia. Yeah, but how did you know? It comes with the territory. Think about it. You're working on stuff that no one has ever done, and you're doing it with smart young people, right? Yeah, but what's... Uh... Remember... You were hired to do stuff that no one has ever done. This means you might run into some things that you have to learn from scratch. Uh, well, sometimes I wonder, though, if I can. Um, I, I wonder how I even got hired at all. Don't be so hard on yourself. But how can I advise this student? He dumped a page of equations on my desk that, to tell the truth, I don't understand. What am I going to do? Take a breath. First of all, calm. This happens all the time. Really? Really. A student takes an advanced graduate course, one that you never had the time to take, and brings in some method or idea that's new to you. Happens all the time. Well, 
So what do I do? Do I admit to Mark that I don't know what he's talking about? He'll start gossiping about how dumb I am. He's something of a, well, let's just say he's pushy, aggressive, and, and full of himself. You don't feel comfortable just asking him to go through it with you one step at a time? It, it makes me worry. He's pretty full of himself, and I'm just not sure he would. Here's another option. You could go to Professor Hoosie Whatsits that gave him the idea and ask him to walk you through it. I, I don't know. Then Professor so-and-so will know that I'm ignorant. It, it feels like I've been over my head, that I was hired under false pretenses. Don't talk like that. I bet everyone on the faculty, well, okay, not everyone. There are some pretty swelled heads around here. So let me just say that some of the, most of the people on the faculty have wondered at one time or another whether they really deserve to be here. It has a name. It's called the imposter syndrome. You make it sound like a disease. It is like a disease, but it's usually curable with a combination of recognition, humility, and hard work. You have the smarts to work to figure out Mark's equations, but you're a professor now. You don't have time to go back to graduate school. Just tell him that. Say, I never took that Green's function class, but it looks like an interesting approach. Walk me through it. I bet it'll work. He'll get to play teacher, and that will puff up his ego. Okay, well, I just worry what he'll think of me as a supervisor, but okay, I'll give it a try. Wish me luck. The end. Wow, that's fantastic. That is so typical. <laughs> that's our daily life. <laughs> oh, thank you for this uh, beautiful vignette. My first question when I first heard of this uh, imposter syndrome was, how does one really know the difference between having the syndrome versus being a real posture? <laughs> I mean, there are some bad people out there too, right? I mean, how do you know you're not one of those? That's a great question, Lucy. And I think the point is that in an environment in which others have evaluated you and trusted you to take on something difficult means that other people believe at some level, at least, that you can do it. And this feeling of inadequacy, which comes when I like to call it climbing the wall of ignorance, which is what you have to do anytime you want to do something new. You have to climb a wall and reach a level where you can perform competently at something. It's very difficult. I can remember the first time I, I went into a class with a bunch of MIT undergraduates. Now that is a very tough environment for someone who didn't go to MIT, which I didn't. And it was a daunting thing. I wondered, why am I here? But in fact, it came out all right. You just need to have a little bit of willingness to rebound and admit that you might have to do some digging. You might have to do some extra work. You might have to evaluate where you are, but trust the people who hired you. I found in my personal experience that the imposter syndrome crops up more about questions of identity and belonging than about any specific circumstance that arises. And so 
like I think I think the advice that you just have to eventually learn to trust yourself and to trust who you are and to trust that you belong. It's a hard problem, but it plays out in the end. I think it it's particularly difficult when the situation of of a faculty member, as so many of us here, I mean, nearly every female faculty member that I know, the hiring is compounded by special circumstances. The year that I was hired in my department, there were four women and two men hired. And you know for sure, I know for absolute, with absolute certainty, I know that I was hired at least to some extent because I was a woman. That doesn't mean that I'm any less successful, that I'm any less effective, that my contributions aren't equal to or better than those of my male colleagues. And I've, and that has proven out over the years. But still in those early years, there's always this lingering doubt, was I hired because I was a woman? And I think that's, that's particularly pernicious for most female faculty that I know. I also think that sometimes this is about how we were raised. Okay. Like, let me tell you something. I was born in a family of only girls, okay? And we are four girls and at my mom's house also, like mostly they have two different generations and then a bunch of girls together, okay? And uh, my mom is an engineer. And so basically I grew up hearing from my mom that women are the best with math, that we are a lot better than men, that we outnumber and that we outsmart men very, very easily. And like, I was always the top student, really, anything related to math, math, physics, chemistry. And my mom just said, this is in our, in, in our nature, you know, men are dumb in these kind of subjects. Then when I arrived at college, then I heard for the first time, okay, that everybody else heard during their whole life that men are better than us. And I said, no way, we are a lot better, you know, we are a lot better. So I think that somehow these kind of things are a little bit, this is the reason why imposter syndrome occurs more with women, is that somehow while we were growing up, we put in our, somehow enters our heads that we don't know that we're not capable of doing some things, okay? And uh, I think that it's, we again, it's another thing that we would change with time. We have to teach our kids that they are capable, that they have to trust themselves. And if they don't know something, ask for help and ask for help is not something bad. You are just saying that basically that you are learning more, okay? I think that in, in my personal opinion, not asking for help, you know, then you are being the dumb one because you are the one pretending that you know something when you don't know. I think that we will again need a generational change to change that. But uh, I think that this is something that we need to believe in ourselves. No. Also, I think that we all have these insecurities, regardless of our gender. Some of us are better than others in hiding it. And some of us, we, we don't know how to handle it. We don't know how to deal with it. And it shows. I think you get better at dealing with it probably over time. So at least for me, I think I just give myself a lot of, I give myself a lot of pep talks <laughs> to say, okay, yes, I can go ask for help. And so I think in the beginning, there were probably much longer pep talks, maybe lasting a couple of days. And now, depending on what it is, it's, you know, a couple of minutes, like, yes, I can do this. Yes, it's okay to ask. So I think you do get better at dealing with it kind of over time. I have that experience too, Nicole. I, I arrive and park in the parking lot. And oftentimes there's a, okay, you can do this. That happens before I open the door. <laughs> but I, I think I had a bit of the opposite experience of Myra. My, my parents didn't go to college. I came from a really small town. 
people didn't go to, you know, big fancy universities. And because of that, I, I think that I was, you know, more impacted by imposter syndrome because I wasn't one of those people. I didn't come from the, the people who went to college. I didn't come from the people who were really good at math and good at science. So, you know, th there was a, many, many, many years that I felt that I didn't belong because those weren't my people. I had a very similar experience to Jennifer. I was the first in my family to, to go to college and I always, I think I've struggled over my career with finding mentors because I always felt that the mentors who were available to me couldn't possibly understand my lived experience. And so finding mentors that could help me with issues like imposter syndrome was even more difficult than it should have been. So I was going to mention that when Lucy said uh, the question about the real imposter, I have a, a slightly different experience that's very related to this in that when I'm teaching, I feel that the students are trying to figure out if I'm an imposter, if I'm the real imposter. So their questions or trying to figure out, does she really know this material? Let me ask this question. I even had a student say, well, my dad is a physicist and he told me this. And so most of the time when I'm teaching, I'm trying to prove to the students I'm not an imposter. I know physics too. So I don't know what you call that where you you spend a lot of your energy proven yes i am here yes i know this material can we just get on with it and one of my mentors told me that before i start a lecture if it's a new class or new semester beginning of the new semester and you go through the syllabus that i should lay out my credentials and say this is why i'm here i went to this school i did this this is my field of expertise this is what I have. I have a U.S. patent and just just go through the litany of accomplishments you've had. And and I thought about it and I was like, why do I have to do that? Right. You know, I just felt like I don't see my men colleagues starting out their their lecture at the beginning of the semester saying all of the things that they've done. But I started doing it and it did help. It did quiet them down. And so I continue to do it, but sometimes I wonder why, why do I need to do that? But so I just wanted to share that experience of having people throw that energy at you to make you feel like you're an imposter when you know you're not. That actually relates back to some of what we talked about in the last episode, this issue of microaggressions. Basically what you're saying, Kim, is that your class did not give you the legitimacy you deserved and you felt you had to fight for it which is a tragic, but it does happen. I can remember early in my teaching career, I had been given a course to teach that I was marginally qualified to teach. And I knew that I was marginally qualified. This was not the imposter syndrome. I was really on edge, but I had ambition. And I created a unit that was new in the syllabus I was taking over. And the first lecture that I gave on this unit, I was going through it and I was going through it. And halfway through, I realized it was completely wrong. And now what? Well, we used this great big sidewalk chalk in this classroom and it had a very high ceiling. So I took this piece of chalk and I threw it as hard as I could against the ceiling and it shattered into three or four huge pieces that came raining down in the classroom I apologized to the class. I said, I've made a complete hash of this. If you come back in two days, I'll have it sorted out. 
And I walked out of there terrified that they were gonna all disappear and I had no students anymore. But they all came back. I did have it sorted out and it ended up being a positive, having made a mistake, a ghastly mistake and survived it. It was really kind of a wild experience. And the, the chalk dust stayed around that classroom for quite a while. So I just wanna first say, Kim, that I'm so sorry that you go through that experience. And the words I would use for that are never ending boot camp. <laughs> like having to prove yourself again and again and again and again. And I feel like there's a certain cognitive bias in the kind of profession that we have. We're so busy that we we tend to focus on the negative things that happen. And you, you, you keep spinning those in your head, trying to think if I'd done this piece of it differently, if I'd written this section differently, if I'd presented this data in a different way, perhaps it would have been more convincing if I'd made this argument in a different way. And so we, we spin over those negative things because we're there's a constructive piece of it, which is that we're trying to make ourselves better. And that's how science happens. That's how engineering happens. But the, you know, the, the thing that that causes us to focus on are the negative things instead of the fantastic positive things along the way. You're so busy that you kind of pile up those positive things in the corner and they're, they're there collecting dust. And so I think I really appreciated what Nicole said about this, which is that she gives herself the pep talk. She reminds herself of those positive, constructive, measurable accomplishments. And I think that that's a, that's a really important thing. I feel like at this point in my career, I'm one of the older ladies in the room <laughs> and I, I am privileged to be able to, to understand that I have a certain set of accomplishments and that I have a certain kind of prestige in the field and that people want to talk to me or work with me. And if people initially interact with me in this way where they're questioning my credentials, I'll usually back off because I don't want to work with them. And if they figure it out, they'll come back to me and they'll have to convince me that I want to work with them. So, you know, that is, and I understand that's a position of privilege, but it's also, I'm not, I don't want to facilitate those kinds of interactions where I, I have to play like I'm always in boot camp. That's a great image. Absolutely. And I also think over time, we build callus at certain points. You just say, whatever. <laughs> I've heard this so many times. It doesn't even bother me anymore. Just like at the end of each semester, you look at your evaluation. Ah, same thing. <laughs> Why bother? <laughs> so I, I'm hopeful that uh, people do find improved practices over time. I'd just like to emphasize, though, that if anyone who's listening to this feels this pang of inadequacy that can arise very easily in a professional environment, the best solution is to go to a mentor, if you have one, and talk it through. Don't hide it and hold it inside. Get it out of you onto someone else's table and then look at it together and talk about it. This is, I think, quite important. And if there's one message to take out of our little vignette, it's that mentoring in this case was tremendously helpful. I, I wanna say absolutely, yes, absolutely. That was the strategy that was shown in this vignette. And absolutely that mentoring, so research shows 
that mentoring works from anybody to anybody. You don't have to have special characteristics. You don't have to have detailed knowledge of someone's lived experience in order to be an effective mentor or in order to find someone as an effective mentor. And I would say as a mentor, it's important to share those feelings as well. You know, as we were going through this and wow, Steve Centurio, this, this guy that I had respected and known about since I was an undergrad, he had this, you know, that was a sense of relief to me. Wow, even this person who's, you know, so well respected went through what I'm going through. And so as a mentor, it is important to share those things so that, you know, people understand that even people who were very successful at some point had those feelings as well. Wow. Well, we hope our listeners were able to follow the story and had a chance to think about their own experiences. Thank you to our guests for highlighting experiences related to the imposter syndrome. This is the final episode in a series of four that use fiction to unmask reality. Our next two episodes will be somewhat different. We will talk with Professor Centuria about how to write good scientific papers and then how to respond to criticism from reviewers. If you have any comments, thoughts, please write to us and let us know. If you attend the workshop in Boston on April 22nd, 2023 in person, you'll be able to participate in this discussion with many like-minded people. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. You can follow us on Facebook and listen to our latest episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, or Google Podcasts. If you're interested in being a sponsor, then please contact us at sponsor at thisacademiclife.org. Join us next time for the good, the bad, and the ugly of this academic life.